We've been talking about a new you, and we're on number five, and uh, talking about things that really are belong to you and how you are as a Christian, what, what you look like in your spirit, what belongs to you, all those types of things. And so we've talked about a number of things and don't have time to review in different areas, uh, how people literally have a revival in them when they get saved. But then it quickly fades away, and you just don't have that anymore. No, we looked at that scripture that said, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And uh, he said, repent, be converted. In other words, we would say it like this. You know, you're going to need to change the way you think. And it's not like change the way you think. We need to do that. It's like when you get saved, you have to change the way you think. You have to go like this. Jesus is the Savior. And I accept him as my Savior and my Lord, and I'm giving my life to him. That's what he talks about there. And he said, so that times of refreshing, and we looked at that, you know, talks about refreshing there, literally, or, you know, it means to have breath put back in you, God's life put back in you. And it literally says in there, uh, figuratively, revival. So really, when we tap into uh, what God has already provided for us, we get saved, we get revived, we have revival. I mean, I don't know about you, when I first gave my life to the Lord, in the first year, and the second year, and man, you weren't getting out of the way. I mean, people probably saw me coming and said, run, and uh, <laughs> because, you know, I wanted to tell people. You need Jesus. But see, that wasn't in my emotions. That wasn't in my physical, how do I feel today? But I just was in fellowship and am in fellowship with God and would talk to him. And I'd just be aware that is in me and it's in you too. And we've been looking at that. And often we're looking somewhere else for something that we already have. And if we really looked, and when I make that statement, I know the world has adopted some of these thoughts and they say, oh, we've all got something. Well, we all are, have a spirit and a spiritual beings because God created us, but we don't all have the same thing. But when you get saved, you get eternal life. That's the very quality and kind of life that God has with him. That's incredible. That's powerful. That is beyond. Well, that's in us and it can be stirred up. You know, we've been talking about this in prayer a little bit. During the week, we have prayer twice a week in the morning. But it's been coming up about stir up the gift of God that's in you. Often we talk about people say, stir yourself up. Well, it says stir the gift of God up. Some people don't need themselves stirred up. You know what I mean? You don't need yourself stirred up. Right? I mean, you hear that term when it, you know, in a crowd, you know, they got all stirred up. Well, sometimes that's not really good. But if you stir up the gift that's from God, he ain't putting no junk in anybody. And it's powerful stuff. And we need to stir that up. Amen? And you have eternal life. So we've talked about various things. And you could say this, I have a revival in me. And if you would acknowledge it, things would start happening. I know one minister, uh, a lady had come to his house, it was late at night, and uh, he, or actually, 
it was, he had, it was, I think, actually, like, kind of like real, real early or middle, you know, it was just an odd time. She shows up and uh, starts knocking on the door, and she's there with her mom. She's probably in her 30s, and, and uh, she's in this trauma situation, and uh, she had some physical issues. She thought she was going to die. And uh, so she said, uh, I came by just so you could pray with me uh, so I could get right with God so that I'd be ready when I died. And the minister, you know, who had actually been traveling that night, got home late with his wife, was totally tired and uh, was trying to be cordial. And uh, so he said, all right, well, we'll pray. And he thought, you know, she's a fairly attractive lady. And, and he had found out she worked at this motel uh, down by this military base, and she thought he thought, well, you know, because your mind can go all over the place, even spiritual people, anybody. And uh, so he thought, well, maybe she got into it, and she's been with some man that's not her husband down there on the base, and she just wants to get right because the way she looked, it was horrible. And so she, so he said, all right, well, here's what we'll do: we'll get down on our knees, you get there, you know, me and my wife will bow down here, and, and you don't have to say this out loud, but you just talk to the Lord, and just, just straighten it out with him, he'll readily, it, it's taken care of, and, you know, you know, he's trying to help her, and uh, so he's explaining as, you know, he kneels down, and, and she kind of just turns and said, well, to this minister, well, I've been searching my heart, and as far as I know, I can't find anything wrong. And he said, well, then what makes you feel like you need to pray and be ready? And she said, well, I just don't feel like I once did. And he said, when he told the story, he said, I spoke real short. Get up off the ground. What are you doing waking me up in the middle of the night? And he said, you know, he had been driving all night. And he said, if, if I was going by feelings, I would ask you to pray for me right now. <laughs> and she looked at him like in amazement. And she said, you mean ministers feel like this too? <laughs> Obviously right then. And she said, well, what do you do then if you don't pray through to be ready? He said, he said this is what I do. And we're talking about things we have. He, he sat down in the chair and he slid it up. And they're all there in a group, but just, you know, a few feet away. And he just closed his eyes and he started saying, thank you, Lord, I have eternal life. And we, he could have said this, I have revival in me. And he went through several things and said, thank you, I have eternal life. I have your divine life in me. You're for me, God, right now. You're working in me. I have great things. Your power, your spirit's in me. Your eternal life's in me. And as he began to speak it, it, it he, he just started, started bubbling up, and his countenance changed, and he just started rejoicing. She said, wow. She said, could I do that? You know, your countenance changed about halfway through that. He said, yeah, that was there the whole time. You just have to stir that up. 
And if we really would learn to go by what he said, we could stir up things that are super powerful in us from him. And so she did the same thing, actually almost quoted him verbatim, and the same thing happened to her. She actually ended up getting healed right then too, without anybody praying for her. She had the eternal life already there. And as believers, we do really have a revival in us. Amen? And so, uh, you know, a lot of times people look at things and they, I think they're there are religious viewpoints that we adopt as Christians and we don't realize it or maybe we came in with it and we try to uh, uh, do things that are not always appropriate. And I, I think if we really had certain ideas about God and how He is and how He has things set up, it would change how we walk with Him, how we live with Him. And uh, I'm going to say something that may shake you a little bit, but I think it will help you. And uh, if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and maybe not everybody, but I think this will be helpful, healthy for people. 2 Corinthians 5. And before I tell you the verses... I'm going to tell you something that I think needs to be thought about. You know, I believe this when we talk about things that belong to us, just like that minister, just like we've been talking about how we have a revival in us. Uh, because in all reality, if we have God's life when we get saved, that is powerful. That is powerful. We need to acknowledge it. We do. Whether we acknowledge it to anybody else, we don't want to deny it to other people, but we should at least acknowledge it and say, I have the eternal life of God in me now. It's like turning on the hose, whatever is in there. Have you ever done that before and said junky things out of your mouth? We've probably all done it. And the more we talk, the more we wish we would quit talking. Anybody ever been there? And then we proceed to continue, because surely we want to finish our conversation we're having, or these words, and it's getting like yuck, because we're not tapping into what's really in us. And, uh, but then when we do tap in and we say, I've got eternal life, then man, that life starts coming into play. It is there. And we need to recognize that. And uh, we can speak. We can declare. And when we do that, it releases something. All right? That's already there. And often when it happens, people will say, God showed up. Well, no, God was there. Amen? God was there. And this is the thought here. There is so much that's already provided for for man, kind, lost, and saved. But often people don't realize, you know, that there is so much already that belongs to them. Like when people end up dying and going to hell. And there will be people there. We know that. We don't want anybody to go, but there will be people who will go. And it's a real place that lasts forever and ever. Here's a thought, though. Once those people arrive there, they're going to realize this. That uh, they didn't go there because of their own sins. 
they didn't. How many want to leave right now and go to a different church? Let's read the Bible. Here's what I'm saying. Their sins, God's not holding them against them. He already did something about them. The problem is they just didn't receive eternal life. But God already did something about all their sins. So when they get there, they're going to find out it was already paid for. God had already done something. He did something so I wouldn't come here. And you with me? Let's read the Bible. Somebody's like, that would be a good idea right about now. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Notice this. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. The verse before talks about how every Christian is new in spirit. They're a new creation. They're something that never existed before. And it said, and he has given to us, these are the people who are new in the Lord, the ministry of reconciliation, of getting people back to God. Now notice this, that is, this is the ministry of reconciliation, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Notice this phrase, not imputing. That's an accounting term, not adding up and holding against. This is the story. God is not adding up people's sins And holding them against them. Why? Why? Because Jesus already paid for them. So what they need now is to become new. But when they get there, they're going to find out, God wasn't even holding my sins against me. You don't go there... You know, we've said this many times from different verses. People go to heaven because they have eternal life. People go to hell because they don't have eternal life, the life of God. They didn't receive the gift. But the sins are washed away. They're already paid for. God's not holding them against them. We've said it like this. Because people say things like, if God's such a good God, why does he send people to hell? And there's a lot of reasons that people have come up with. But I would say this is a good reason why people must go to hell. Because God loves. Now that, without explanation, may make your head go... But let me say this. We know right now there are spiritual beings that don't have God's life in them. They're called fallen angels or demons, and they get to roam around, and look at the havoc they're wreaking on humanity, and the battles that are fought, uh, even against other angelic hosts. We can read that in the Bible. Could you imagine then if people, people, not angels, people were able to then roam freely after they died without eternal life. And people are in a higher class of being than an angel. And look at the havoc 
that angels are causing that uh, left their first habitation. Now imagine a human without eternal life getting to roam uh, forever, everywhere without eternal life in a higher class. Think what angels do. Think what they would do. In an unbridled situation. So you could see that prisons here are a reflection of God's design when they're operated correctly. Because you see people with a nature that is unbridled and left to themselves because they don't control themselves, they wreak havoc. Imagine that in the spirit realm. And because God is love, he doesn't want that type of thing everywhere. But he's already done something so those people don't have to go. And when they end up there, they end up there not realizing God wasn't even holding their sins against them. They just had to receive eternal life. Are you with me? And we have that eternal life if we have the Lord. So let's read on. Now, verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or adding up and holding their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, and God pleads through us, we implore you or beg you on Christ's behalf, be returned to God. And then it goes on to say some more things. Let me make this statement. If God is not holding the sins of the lost against them, then um, he's not doing it to the saved. But often in ignorance, people are crying out for things and begging God for things that already actually belong to them, and their battle is not even with God. And they feel like they're like, you know, what is Joshua or whatever when he wrestled with the angel and threw his hip out and everything and he said, I'm going to get this from you and he finally, the angel said, all right, I'll give it to you. I think some people think that's what prayer is like with God. In the new covenant, it's completely different and some things we don't even have to talk to God about. Are you with me? Because they already, meaning we don't have to, if we're going to lead somebody to the Lord, we're not going to wrestle with angels. The only wrestling that's going to happen is that person, uh, maybe things are, are bombarding their mind saying, don't make this decision. Don't, don't choose Jesus. But God will strive with them by his spirit to convict them to know you need this. Are you with me? So God's not holding their sins against them. And some people are trying to fight with God and wrestle with God to get things that technically already belong to them. And so if God doesn't hold the sins of a lost person against them, is he now doing that to Christians? Now that you're his kid? Now that you're accepted in the beloved? It would almost seem like you took a big step forward and put yourself in a tougher position. 
if that's the mentality you hold. Are you with me? Now, understand this. Somebody's like, cool, we can just sin and do what we want to. No. The Bible said, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer in that? We have a new nature. But notice, he's not holding their sins. And, and why would he do that to us then? Or is there a different source of condemnation and guilt? Now, I'm not suggesting we live wrong by any means. We all know that that's not good. But nobody lives perfect per se. You know what I mean? But where does all the guilt and condemnation come from? Turn to Revelation. Does forgiveness or cleansing and freedom, if God wasn't holding it against them, does, does it still belong to you now that you're saved? And the answer to that would be absolutely it does. But people don't realize that their problem is not with God. And I'm talking to Christians. They don't realize their problem is not with God. Well, if he would just forgive me. Uh, you know, I've asked and asked and I just still feel so miserable. And, but, and, and then they'll fast about it. I remember when I first got saved, if I did something wrong, I felt horrible. And I would be, and, and if I told you what it was, it wouldn't be, you know, I mean, if I had an attitude or something, I'd be like, oh, that's horrible. I can't believe I did that. And I would be like, I need to fast for a day or two. That is so wrong. Are you with me? But I was so zealous and didn't have knowledge. And so I was dealing with things totally wrong. What happens then is you get, you can start to get a, a, a self-righteous attitude. Because I fasted. Like God gave it to me because I'm not trusting in him anymore. I'm believing in my works. Well, when that happens, I may look at you and think, how good are you really? Because, you know, look at me. And I took care of it. I'm, you with me? But I was trying to work to get what already belonged to me. So Revelation, the 12th chapter. We'll begin reading in the 10th verse. Is our forgiveness, or our, really, and it's not even an issue of forgiveness it's an issue of enforcing something that is a reality. That you and I have received Jesus and he said he died once for all sins. Are you with me? And notice this phrase here. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice, Revelation 12.10, saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the, Notice this phrase. For the accuser of the brethren. God is not accusing his children. Who accused them before God day and night. Has been cast down. And they overcame him. They didn't overcome God. God wasn't the one accusing them. 
they overcame him, who? The accuser. God was not accusing them. God was not trying to make them feel guilty. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I'm born again. I've been made new. The blood of Jesus has washed me. I am clean. Are you with me? When, when like I said, we don't necessarily have to go to God and try to get him to forgive us when he's already paid for it by his blood. Our issue is not with him. Is the issue with God here? No. It, the issue is that the blood has already been supplied. It's what bought you. So you don't have to turn your attention to God and say, oh, please forgive me. Just like the lost person is going to go to hell and think and find out, man, God wasn't even holding my sins against me. He already paid for them. I just needed eternal life. Now, he's not holding them against us. We're free from them. They're remitted. They're removed. Turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. This, this is an interesting thought if you put these verses together. If he's not uh, accusing us and the enemy is accusing us, then we need to overcome the accusations. You know, there are people who will say, well, you know, I wish I could walk strong. I just mess up so much. I don't know that the Lord would help me. In all reality, his help is already provided. And it makes it easier to walk in things when you know they're already yours. A great man, a minister who years ago went to be with the Lord, said faith works properly when you know what already belongs to you and has been provided by the Lord. Faith is throttled and held back when you don't know what is already belonging to you, paid for from the Lord. Why? Because that is the reality that needs to be brought forth in your life. And so... Here in Hebrews 8, 12, remember the phrase, accuser of the brethren, he's the one we overcome. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now think about it. This is God who never forgets anything, said their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Anybody here ever remembered a lawless deed you did? One person? That's good. Oh, another hand? Uh, hands? More. This section's awesome over here. None of them remembered. No, we've all remembered a lawless deed because here's the thing, the enemy will make sure you remember. At some point, he's the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to wallow around in that and live there instead of moving on. He's the accuser. Here, God doesn't even remember him. 
I mean, the only time God is probably remembering Christian sins, you ready for this? Is when we remind them about them. God, you know I did this. He's like, huh? It's it's because we're dealing with God in this area, and we're not to be dealing with God in this area. I'm talking about believers. Lost people need to come to know the Lord and accept it, but once we're there, we're clean. We're in good standing. We're right in His sight. We don't get right and then we do wrong and we're not in righteous, good standing with Him. We're no longer righteous. No, our righteousness never leaves. If it ever did and you died, you'd miss heaven. And the reason you're right is not because of your deeds, but because of your faith in Jesus. It's an interesting thought that they overcame him and that God is not the one who remembers your sin. So if there is a constant reminder, then you need to turn your attention away from God and quit trying to get him to do something that he's already done something about. Turn your attention and say, I resist condemnation. I resist you. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. I'm a child of God. God already did something about this. Are you with me? There was a Methodist minister, I'd heard this story years ago, who, uh, I'm not sure exactly the state he was in, like, but he went to a convention, and uh, they would, ministers would meet, and at this time, and it, they met in Chicago, and this denomination would send their ministers. So this guy, you know, just like with me, I have to fill out papers every year. Well, now you do them on the computer, you don't do it like that looks better than this you know when you're telling it but anyway he had to fill out a paper and one of the questionnaires was uh, because back then they were holiness people because you know they're a little different maybe today but they were not allowed to smoke cigarettes and so he had struggled for years and years and if they found out he smoked cigarettes they'd take his papers and take his church from him and he, he had really struggled with this. I mean, big time. Prayed about it, talked to the Lord about it. And he's still smoking cigarettes. And he said, he said that uh, in conveying the story, he said he went to the convention. He had to fill out papers. It had been a month since he had smoked a cigarette. That was, like, great for him. And uh, he... Uh, so he felt like, well, I'm safe to write in the application that I don't smoke. And so he was at the convention, and uh, a day or two passed, and he was like, man, i got to have a cigarette. So he went in down the street, went into an alley, and lit it up. Started smoking. And when he got done, he felt so condemned, he started crying. He said, oh God, you know I don't like these things. You know I've tried to get free. And he said, you know I've prayed. He said, you know I've fasted. You know I fasted for two weeks one time to get free from these things. You know as well as anybody I want to get free. And he, he just kind of laid into the Lord. And just, you know, I want to be free. You know, help me Lord. 
And the Lord literally spoke to him clearly. And uh, at the time of him telling this story, he had left that denomination, ended up becoming spirit-filled and uh, going on to minister in a uh, spirit-filled type of church. But he literally, the Lord answered and said, uh, he said, that's the problem. You're trying to do it all. Because he said, I've tried. I've fasted. And I've prayed. He said, that's the problem with you. You're trying to do it all. I've already delivered you. Just like people going to hell thinking, you know, are going to find out their sins were not the thing that God was holding against them. Because they're already paid for. And he said, I already did something about this, you know, back at Calvary. On the cross, when I died, when I was buried, when I rose again. To destroy and set people free. I already freed everybody from everything that hurts and harms. It's already been paid for. But you keep trying to do what I already did something about. Wait. Amen. Hallelujah. That's good preaching right now. And he said he remembered Colossians 1, uh, 13 that says, Who has already delivered us from all the power and all the authority of the devil, anything that hurts and harms, and has put us into the kingdom of his dear son. And he said, Yeah, Lord, I've been trying this whole time. You already did something. I just accept that that, that that is true. That you already really did do something about it. See, he was approaching God really in unbelief, but we would, you know, we, I mean, in the church world often would think, how admirable to pray and fast, and he just hasn't laid hold of it yet. And the Lord... Uh, finally was able to get his attention and say, you know, basically, you're approaching it wrong. Really, what he was doing was fully an expression of unbelief. Now, don't go tell everybody that. Isn't it unbelief for me if you gave me a gift, like, it's my birthday, and you're like, here you go, and I'm like, give me it. And you're like, I already did. And I'm like, give me it. And you're like, I already did. I'm like, come on, it's my birthday. Give me, and I got it in my lap. And I'm like, give me a gift. And you're like, I already gave it to you. <laughs> and if we could hear God, and we'd be like, oh, God, give me this. He's like, I already did. You know, by whose stripes you were healed. Yeah, give me that, Lord. He's like, I already did. And he's like, give me that, Lord. And he's like, I already did. <laughs> you can see how our minds... It's just so subtle. And the only reason you believe he didn't give it to you is because you're trusting feelings more than his word. And if we could just move aside and know that the accuser of the brethren works with these things too and we'll say, well, look how you feel. Look at this. Because he wants to move you over there to where you admit, I don't have it. 
because then you're walking in unbelief because the Lord said you do have it. Now, you've got to believe it. And that minister said that that day, he just said, you're right, I am free. And uh, he said from that time forward, he was free. But here's the thing, he was free before, he just needed to believe it and accept it. He was working trying to get it. That's why we should all go, we do have a revival in us. Man, we're so strong. You know, we do, we have strength in us, we have life in us. We have ability in us. But if we only look at the natural, it doesn't always appear that way. But we can get it into action. Amen? We've been returned to good favor with God already. You ready? Let's read a couple verses and we'll close. Ephesians, the second chapter. He's not holding these things against us. I know sometimes people will hear this and they won't like this because you, you know, they think you're teaching people you can live any way you want to. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying you're a different person. We're not like the world. Are you with me? And God is not holding things against us. And sometimes people think this. Well, you know, I just haven't done all this stuff that I should be doing. Therefore, I can't partake of what I would like to partake of in God once I do good. That is totally wrong thinking too. Because the very thing you need to partake of that belongs to you will help you walk the walk. Are you with me? The very thing you should trust that you have will help you to do what you need to do. Is it just me or is the air conditioner really loud today? <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse 17. You know, in those movies where it just gets real quiet and you can hear people breathing and everything, you know, they, yeah, it's getting a little quiet. Ephesians 2, 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Meaning the Gentiles were way out there. The Jews were at least closer, but they weren't in. And he preached peace through Christ Jesus. What does it mean he preached peace? Well, there is peace in the Lord, a real divine presence of peace that we get in our heart. But when he's talking about preaching peace here, it literally means all the hostilities between two parties have been removed. He's not hostile toward you anymore. When you get to heaven, he's not going to go, oh yeah, you were living like this, go ahead and come in and turn his head and not look at you. Uh, just go on in. Go on. Get in. Oh, Mary, I've been waiting for you. Oh, come here, baby. All right, come on in. Let me show you your mansion. Don't look over at them. They weren't living. You know, I'm like, with them. Come on. And that's some people's real mentality. But when the Lord sees all of his believers who, that come to be with him, he is excited. He's going to be glad to show you everything. 
And, you know, and you're not going to go, oh, well, Lord, you remember when I was on the earth? He does not remember those things. But it is something, you know, that is worthy to overcome accusations that we should recognize they're not from him. But he came and preached peace or the end of hostility for humanity. Why is there no hostility? What held people out? Well, it was their sin. Now the sins are removed. All you need is the eternal life, and your and life and righteousness are synonymous terms, good standing, cleansing, and you're in, and you're there. And that's us. Let's finish over here in Romans, the third chapter. We're going to see a very similar term. We're talking about things that already belong to us, and uh, recognizing we are free as believers. It's all been taken care of. It's as simple as salvation. We just find out about it and we begin to walk in it. But sometimes uh, we can make it harder because, you know, we want you to live better. So come on. And when you live better, then you can walk in some of this. And that's not the truth. You don't have to live better to walk in it. You can actually walk in it and it will help you to live better. Are you with me? Now, I understand you can't live any old way and then serve and do ministry. You need to be proven, you know, all those different things. But we're talking there's ability to help us and we can act in line with that ability. Are you with me? And it was freely given. So we could live the way that he would want us to live. Romans 3, 17. And the way of peace they have not known. The way of peace, and he's talking about people who don't know the Lord. People who are walking in their own way. It said the way of peace they don't know. You know, the world doesn't know the way of peace. You can talk to them readily and they'll say, I live good enough, God will let me in. The way of peace they don't know. They don't know what it is to have the hostilities between God and man removed through Christ Jesus. They don't know the way of peace. And then as you read on, verse 23, you can go through the whole thing and it will affirm this. But he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, nobody makes it on their own deeds. But the way of peace or that hostility or indifference between you and God is removed. How? Through Jesus. Notice, being justified or declared right freely. Freely. By his grace or his gift through the redemption or the payment that is in Christ Jesus. God looks upon us as believers favorably. When we get to heaven, that should not be the day we figure it out. Just like a lost person going to hell, that should not be the day they find out God already did something about these sins and that's not what was causing me to go here. It was because I didn't receive the gift. Jesus and we don't need to go to heaven and find out, man, God was really for me. He looked upon me favorably. He would have worked with me. He would have done whatever if I would have stepped out. So the guilt, the hostilities, they're removed. Amen? 
And so we know what to do. Faith should be expressed with our mouth that we have freedom and that God loves us. For some people, your head will rebel. Others, you go, hey, that's pretty awesome. But I tell you what, as we get to thinking the right way, it will help immensely.